Welcome to And Then an Aeroplane, a Studio Ghibli Rewatch podcast. I am your host, Autumn June, and my co-host is, as always, M. Hi! It's time to talk about anime. Is this, like, episode 7, right? This is... I thought... Mm, uh, I'm gonna look it up. I'm gonna look it up okay. right now. This is episode 7! I was correct. Okay, cool. I was like, wait, last episode was 7? No. Okay. Anyway... We're here to talk about Only Yesterday. Um, Sorry, I paused because I thought I had something to say that had nothing to do with Only Yesterday before we started, but I don't. Only Yesterday... (laughs) (laughs) Only Yesterday is uh, released in 1991. It is uh, the second uh, movie by Isao Takahata that we're watching. Um directed by him you know Miyazaki is one of the main producers on it but um he is not a producer on this according to Wikipedia producer is Toshio Suzuki um this is based on a manga I think this is a based on a manga um which I believe has the same title um Yes, that manga has never been translated because I thought about trying to track it down, but it has only ever been translated to Spanish and only the first two volumes. Yep, that is how it goes sometimes. Um, anyway, uh, I'm trying to think of any other preamble stuff before we get to summary. Um, I think that's all I've got. Do you want to give us a quick summary of this movie as best you can? <laughs> Yeah, sure. Uh, the movie takes place in 1982. Uh, Taiko Okajima is a young woman who's kind of disaffected with her city life in Tokyo, and she's going to take a vacation out to the country where she's been before, and she loves the country, and she's had like an aspiration to be out in the country ever since she was a child. We see her as a 10-year-old in 1966, where she is growing up and wishes that she could go on adventures, but she lives at home with her two sisters and her grandma and her parents in a very traditional like 60s Japanese household. There's nothing particularly special about it. Um, and we get the intercut of her going out into the 
uh, going out into the country to Yamagata, where there's like a saffron flower field that she helps work at um, by picking flowers for dye, and they turn into rouge and stuff like that. Uh, anyway, while she's doing that, she has reflections on herself as a 10-year-old that intersect with all of this. Uh, she says while she's going, oh, my 10-year-old self went with me on this trip this one day. And it's, it's like narrated from her in the future, talking about her in the present, reflecting on her in the past. Uh, there's a lot going on. Um, while she's there, she finds herself in a friendship. Maybe it'll be a relationship with a uh, young man named Toshio, uh, who is... Uh, her brother-in-law's second cousin, which is a complicated relationship <laughs> spectrum there. But anyway, uh, he, uh, loves farming. He's very, like, laid back and, uh, she finds in him a kindred spirit. They hang out. Um, she gets to the point where, like, it's time to leave and all of a sudden, uh, the grandmother, the house she's staying, it's like, why don't you just say you could marry Toshio? You want to stay here. It's better than the city, right? You think the city sucks. And she is overcome with emotions at the idea that her life could go a different way. And she thinks about it and she's like, I don't know, that's a lot. And then she goes to leave. And then as the train is pulling away, going back to Tokyo, she changes her mind and runs back and she's going to live here. Yeah. Very simple. Um, very simple. Um, so last week, toward the end of the episode, uh, or last time on Kiki's on the Kiki's episode, we briefly talked about like, gosh, nothing we've seen has been quite as good as Nausicaa. Uh, I hope that we're not just like constantly spending this podcast talking about how nothing's good as Nausicaa. Uh, this movie snuck up on me as like maybe better than Nausicaa. Didn't expect that, but um, holy shit. <laughs> I don't know incredible. if I, I don't know if I'd go as so far as to say it is better than Nausicaa, but this is an incredible film. <laughs> I, so I guess I was shocked because like this is not, at least in the states, a movie that anybody talks about. Uh, you know, well, no, it, it to... was first released in English in 2016. Like this is a movie that was not over here at all. Right, right, and like. I just assumed that, like, the because it was not talked about, it was, like, a lesser Ghibli movie, uh, and watched this mo on Monday and have just been completely floored by it ever since. Um, something I wanted to mention with the manga, and it slipped my mind, actually, uh, until you started your summary, is that the manga um, that this is adapted from is apparently only um the scenes of her as a 10 year old it is presented um as a memoir yeah with kind of yeah somehow autobiographical yeah like disjointed chapters like oh here's a memory from my childhood here's a different unrelated memory um and in adaptation takahata couldn't string them together into a narrative and so came up with the framing device of her as a 27 year old reflecting on these things and just stumbles into one of the most touching romances and like one of the most touching movies I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is definitely like, even for anime at the time was seen as like a surprising thing to make a movie out of because it's about a, you know, an adult woman in like a very introspective mode. Like this, there's no reason this movie should be animated other than it looks incredible when you do. Right. Right. Uh, this, this would, should just be like a drama for adults and that would imply live action. But Takahata does not care about that. He wants to make beautiful <laughs> movies and he sure as hell did. 
Oh my. That's the other thing is that like from the very first shot, um, which the first couple shots are in a setting that we have never seen in a Ghibli movie before this really, um, which are like the first couple shots are all in like office buildings in Tokyo. And then as it moves on, it's more um, the pastoral stuff we're used to, but like, Oh wow. This is a beautiful movie. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Um, you were actually reading something that I thought was really interesting, um, which is just on the Wikipedia page. I was trying to find more about it and haven't been able to, um, the scenes of her, um, as a kid are animated in a very traditional way where they did all the animation and then recorded the dialogue. And then to get a very different feeling, um, the adult scenes, they recorded all the dialogue and tried to spend a lot of time animating their faces in like more realistic ways to match what the actors are saying. And it's makes for just like like the the acting in this movie is like really stunning. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, because of that you get like much like when the characters are at rest, their faces just kind of look like anime, but when they talk it's not like rotoscoped or anything, but there is like an attention to detail into how faces move when they talk. That is remarkable in anime. You just don't see it. Yeah. Um, Teiko has like just the cutest dimples I've yeah, ever she has, seen. She has like really prominent cheeks when she does, like when she pulls her face back a bit, like it makes her look almost like an old woman in a way that's like really endearing. Like you see her right. as someone who is not a child, right? Like she's not old, but you can see the person that she's going to become as she ages through it. And it's really good. And then uh Toshio is just like, the chillest guy he's just kind of like <laughs> really laid back he giggles a lot and they animate all of the giggles that the character has and he's just kind of like always half smiling as he's like chill going through his day it's so endearing you can also um something that they you can often hear the actor like breathing in between mm -hmm. his lines which is yeah. just like not a thing that you would normally hear and like it didn't, I didn't notice it the first time through, but I did end up watching this a second time before we um, recorded. And like, it's just like a little, a, it's just a little detail that just like, I say, I feel like I say this on every episode we do. Like there's just an attention to little details like that, that gives this movie so much life. Um, yeah. Yeah. Um, do you want to segue from this into voice actors and stuff real quick? Yes. This yes. one's short because I only grabbed the first three characters um, for reasons that will be really apparent when I tell you about the Japanese voice actors for these characters. So, Taiko uh, at 27 is voiced by Miki Imai, who is mostly a singer and has like about three credits to her name. Um, mm. uh, in English, I didn't look at the... Did you watch this dubbed at all? No, okay. I didn't even realize it had been dubbed until we started recording. <laughs> okay. So the dub is a G-Kids dub. We talked a bit about G-Kids getting the Ghibli license last episode. Um, so this is one of theirs uh, and obviously has much more modern actors. So Taiko is voiced by Daisy Ridley, who uh, probably was working on this around the time she was filming Force Awakens, would be my guess. Weird. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, I'm really curious about that because she's English, and I assume she's doing like an American accent, but I don't know because i didn't watch it um mm -hmm. uh toshio is voiced by toshiro yamagiba who is also just like a actor he is this is as far as i can tell his only animated role um 
he the the main thing that i recognized when i looked at his like imd page was he was in a 2010 space battleship yamato live action film um huh. and then uh in english he is a voice by dev patel uh from slumdog millionaire and chappy and the newsroom chappy's the one okay. that matters here that's chappy <laughs> that's chappy <laughs> Uh, and then 10-year-old Taiko in Japanese is voiced by Yokohona. Uh, she's an actual voice actress. Uh, she <laughs> is Nagisa uh, or Cure Black in Futari Wa Pretty Cure, which is a show I like a lot. Um, she is a character that I'm going to see in Gundam in like four years uh, called Sumragi Lee Noriega in Gundam 00. Uh, she is Lalako Godspeed in Space Patrol Luluko, which is a really good anime. Um, and she's going to show up back again in Whisper the Heart and the Cat Returns. So we'll get back to that when we get there. Oh, nice. Uh, and then in English, she's voiced by Alison Fernandez, who is uh, is in Once Upon a Time as a character named Lucy. I've never seen it. And she's also yeah. in Logan. Um, she's in Jane the Virgin in, like a, I guess, a small role. I don't know. I've never seen that either. So Three things that I'm like, oh, I should watch that someday, and I probably never will. You should watch Logan. Logan's pretty good. I should watch Logan. That's, like, the highest on my list, but I just still have not gotten around to it. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> but, yeah, so... Uh, like got actual actors to play these two characters, which I think is like key to this. Uh, yeah. Like going for a more naturalistic mode. I was, I was not surprised. When I looked at their list. And I was like, Oh, these two are not people who do animation. They're not anime actors. Um, mm-hmm. because the way they interact is so low key and so understated and feels like there's an amazing scene where they go to, they go up the, cause she, uh, he's taking around showing her place when she's not working on the farm. Mm-hmm. Just a second had to cough um and he's like oh you went up this mountain last year this year let me take you to this other place so they go way up in the mountains to like a tourist spot and it's like this just this like gentrified cafe that's all like nice and they're dressed up and they're clearly not comfortable and they have this conversation about like she asks him if he think if he was ever good at dividing fractions because there's a big scene as a kid where she's not very good at it and struggles and her mom is shitty about it anyway um She's like, I always felt that people who are good at, like, good at something like dividing fractions would have easy, glamorous lives. Because everyone I knew who grew up that way has a nice, glamorous life. They're married. They have kids. And it was always hard for me. And they just have this, like, weird back and forth where he's, like, trying to understand what she's talking about. Because he doesn't follow the thread of her, like, train of thought. Because she's so deep in, like, remembering the stuff that when she was 10. Um, which is just so good because he's, like, not inconsiderate he's listening and trying to get there but they're just kind of bouncing off each other in this very cute way it's really good mm-hmm. yeah at some point um she's telling her story and asks him a question and he just goes on a monologue that he's quoting from a friend about um like how we need to just get back to how we used to farm and it's like that has nothing to do with dividing fractions what are you talking about <laughs> <laughs> and then she's just like really blown away by his monologue because she's really taken in by like this lifestyle. Um, And it's just, it's very sweet in the ways that they're trying to connect with each other and can't quite get there, but like they're just going to keep earnestly trying throughout the film. And like, it's just so endearing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um. I also, um, just, like, thinking about Toshio, um, I was really struck in his first scene, like, um, like, he meets her at the bus station, and they have a long scene together, and, like, I was just kept noticing all the, like, 
gestures he's doing with his hands. He, he like talks with his hands a little bit um, throughout the movie. And it was just like, it, that also feels like the sort of detail you get when you are having like live action actors um, recording these things is like, maybe like an animator noticed these hand gestures the actor was doing and like incorporated that into the character. I, ah, this movie's so good. <laughs> yeah. Um, do you just want to, you want to break it up into like the 10 year old stuff and then we'll talk, we'll circle back around to the 27 year old stuff. Yeah. That makes sense to me. Okay. Um, so the main thrust of uh, Taiko at 10 is that she's like, like it goes through like coming of age stuff. Like they're told about puberty and she's, she learns that other girls already have their periods and is very upset about this because never th- come to her mind before. And there's a boy that she likes and everyone's being overbearing about it. And it's awkward, but it's also like, she's at home. She is like the odd duck out. She's like a person who's not good. Like she's a little, uh, rebellious uh she's not great in school in the way that her sisters are uh she is the baby of the family and everyone treats her that way so she acts that way uh it's just like an interesting intersection of like her memories of her as a kid are like really ungenerous like everything Mm -hmm. we see is like her being like the cause of a problem or making people in her household or friends feel bad and the way she's she reinforces that narrative i think is really interesting because i don't like the thing at the end of the movie is Toshio looking at her like a story she tells is like, you've built this up as a thing where you did the wrong thing. And that's just not true. Like none of like, mm-hmm. that's all in your head. None of it was ever real. Um, and I think that's really interesting because we got a lot of emails and we'll get to them. And like people talking to us about nobody remembers being 10 and being in fifth grade. Um, and as much as she's like, I have all these clear memories. She probably doesn't remember being 10 and being in fifth grade that well either. Um, right. And so, so much of the stuff that is constructed that she's bringing with her on this trip that she's like reflecting on her life is like, they are probably based on real memories, but there's no way to know for sure if they are the true memories. Like that's the problem with all like autobiographical work. Um, whether it's you telling a story to a friend or writing something down is like, it's all through the lens of your own narrative. And her narrative is like really self negative in a way that's really interesting. Um, because it's also like, in like a broader cultural sense, like nostalgic, like she grows up and her sisters pick on her, but they do care, but they show it in shitty ways. And her dad is kind of distant. She feels weird about that because he's like clearly cares, but cares in ways that don't respect her feelings. Cause that's how dads are. And her mom is like permissive sometimes or forbidding in others. And she doesn't understand why, because she's 10. Um, and that stuff's like universal. Um, mm-hmm. But also it's always wrapped in like, I ruined dinner the one day because I didn't want to go or I was a picky eater and wouldn't eat the pickles. And so when I grew up, I wanted to make sure I tried all the food and was just not that person anymore. And some of those are positive and some of those are negative, but you, the reality of them is all like equally up in the air. Right. Um, it like, because I, as I was watching the movie, like I was like, oh, I remember, like, this thing that happened when I was 14. I remember this thing that happened when I was 12, you know. Um, And the thing that I was realizing at the end of the movie is it's like, um, I just had the words for it and I lost it. I'm trying to find it. Like, sometimes something happens to you and you spend the next day, the next week, like, however long, dwelling on it. And then, like, you know, you randomly remember it, like, 
10 years later and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I did something so foolish. And like something that is almost universally true about those situations is that like the other person who like you upset them probably is not randomly thinking about this 10 years later and being mad at you. They have their own thing where like they stepped on someone's toes like 15 years ago and that's what they're thinking about today. Um, Like uh, it, it perfectly captures like all the ways that you can like dwell on random stuff and try to build a narrative that like maybe doesn't hold together because like everyone else might remember that situation differently or just not remember that situation because it was not a big deal to them because they were 18 when you were 10 and like were just more well adjusted mm-hmm. um I also, um, I guess this is more to do with the adult storyline. Um, I guess I'll save that. But okay. um, I'm trying to think. I was, um, I mentioned like I was trying to find like little details about the movie online. And um, I found on Nausicaa.net a like FAQ about like, is... I found an FAQ about the movie and it's like, is Taiko's father abusive? And it was so funny to me because it was like, um, um, what am I trying to say here? It's like very clear that like, he just is not good at expressing emotions and like, hmm. I don't know that I have a point to I'm building to. <laughs> well, for if people have not watched the movie, I don't know why you'd be listening, but maybe you are. There's a scene mm-hmm. where she's like throwing a fit. She wants to go, like everyone's trying to go out to Chinese dinner and it's like a big deal. Everyone's dressing up or whatever. And she's throwing a fit because she wants a new purse and she's not going to get one. She's getting a hand-me-down from her sister, but she's been petulant about that. So her sister doesn't want to give it to her and she says she doesn't want it, but she needs it anyway. And so she holds up the whole thing and then it's super like everyone just goes and like, we're just gonna leave you. And she's like, I don't care. I'm going to stay home with grandma. So they leave her. And then she like her father, like last minute's guy trying to like clearly is going to say something to her to like, try to inspire her and just like gives up. He's like, I'm not going to reach her and turns and leaves. And then once she realizes everyone leaves, she gets upset because everyone actually just left and did the thing they said they were going to do, because this is what it is to be 10. Um, no one's ever coddled her the way that she wanted. Uh, and so she, she <laughs> rushes out to stop them without putting her shoes on, getting her socks all dirty. Cause you know, it's a Japanese house. So right outside the door is just the ground. Um, mm-hmm. and her dad is so upset that this, that he turns on and hits her. And it's like, uh, then she's telling this story to like, like, you know, a distant relative who works on the farm, like a, a young girl who's like, what, like 16, 17, probably, probably maybe a little younger yeah. than that. Um, and she's telling her the story and the girl's horrified because it's 82 now and not 66. And she's like, she's like, I can't believe he did that. And she's like, well, it was the first and only time he ever hit me. And it was weird, but he never did it again. And, you know, I understand how this happens because now I'm this person, right? Like I'm a different person now. I see how I was a brat and my parents didn't really know how to relate to me. And this is what happened. Um, right. Because the the true thing is, like, depending on who what, what your culture is, who you grew up with, like, some parents are more physical with their kids. I'm not condoning spanking or, like, hitting your kids or whatever, but it certainly has happened with people who I would not label as capital A abusive, right? Right. And, like, I, I want to say, like, 
you understand it. And I'm not saying I'm condoning it. I'm just like, oh, this is just a man who is fed up, but literally doesn't have the language for it. Um, and so like lashes out and it's like, I, I guess the thing I want to say is like that. I love the, the, um, just the very understated way that this, uh, movie can like presents all these memories and all these things that she's dwelling on. Um, and like, you understand why they are so significant to her, but, um, There may be a little more hmm, ambiguous might be the word I'm looking for. I don't know. Yeah. Um, not, oh, go ahead. Yeah. I feel like I'm getting close to saying like, oh, yeah, I get why he hit her. And that's not what I'm trying to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, to, to talk about the ambiguity, one of the big like childhood storylines is she's in a school play and she hams it up because she's a 10 year old who loves attention and that's fine um but then she gets like she's got this idea that she's like i'm gonna be a great actress and because she hammed it up she got attention for like hamming it up even though the teacher didn't approve and so this college kid comes to ask her like he clearly just went to the school and was like we need a 10 year old girl for our play who can you suggest and they directed her them to her house so he comes up asks if she can be in the play with the college kids because they need a 10 year old and her mother's like willing to do it. She's super taken with it. She has dreams of being a huge star. There's like this montage of her with like shoujo eyes uh, <laughs> in like a 60s anime style, like standing in, in for all these magazines and newspapers. It's very good. Um, and when she goes to tell her dad, her dad's like, no, absolutely not. Like, because her sisters talk about like, oh, you could be famous. You could be in show business. He's like, show business. Absolutely not. That's not fit for my daughter. And he won't budge. So they have to say no. Um and then turns out like the other girl in her class gets the role. And when she's shopping with her mom, her mom's like, okay, you can't ever tell her that she was the second choice. Cause you're going to hurt her feelings. Like it, even if it's true, um, that's just for you. Like there's some things that you just can't tell people. And she takes that lesson in and mulls it over. And then in the present, when she's telling the story to uh, Toshio and the young girl, she's like, and then in high school, I did go into drama club and it was great, but it wasn't the thing I care. Like I clearly wasn't going to be an actress. I wasn't interested in that. Um, and the way that this story, like, so burns through her, like, soul when she's 10, and then at 27, she reflects on, when I was 16, it was fine, it was nice, but it wasn't mm -hmm. the thing I cared about, like, also fills this with that sort of ambiguity. That isn't, that isn't the same thing as the unreli unreliable narrator, just the realities of, like, when you grow older. When I was 10, I wanted to draw newspaper comics. <laughs> that was my <laughs> aspiration. I don't do that at all. Not interested. Uh, it's barely a career someone can do in 2019. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and like she opens that story with a joke to um, Toshio and the younger girl, like, "Oh yes, at ten I was going to be a star," mm -hmm. and at the end of the story, she's like, "Oh yeah, I was just joking about that star thing." But like, it is like there is this tiny little part of her that was like fantasizes about what might have been even. You know, even at 27, even though she knows that, like, that's not, you mm -hmm. know, she's just like, oh, I can latch on to this memory is like, maybe that's a different path life could have taken. Yeah. But like Toshio at the same time is a character who's like, I want to go into Tokyo. My dad wasn't into he's like, well, I'm a farmer. You should be a farmer. And he settled into being a farmer and like genuinely loves it. Like he has there's clearly a guy who has no interest in living in Tokyo now. Yes. <laughs> um. Gosh, I love Toshio. Um, I wanted to also touch on 
maybe my favorite of the um, stories of her as, as a 10-year-old um, is pretty early, and it's about um, her first crush on a boy, um, Hirota, who's like this other kid at the school who is like a star baseball player. Um, they have one conversation one time and get this crush on each other. Um, two conversations, I guess one at lunch and then one after a big baseball game. And, um, I think this is like, uh, the second conversation they have is like the movie does this like kind of flight of fancy thing where like she walks away from the conversation, um, and like, like walks up into the sky and floats through the sky and like floats down into her bed and gets the shoujo eyes again. And like, there's a heart over the house. Um, you know, we mentioned earlier, like this is more or less just like to 99% of directors would be a like live action adult drama film. Um, but Takahata is just interested in animating in doing animation. And like, this is like another way that this movie really advocates advocates for why it should be animated in this these like total flights of fantasy that it indulges yeah every now and then that are just make it just a million times better yeah I think for sure um, uh, also like stylistically all of the 60s stuff is like very storybook in quality like all of the edges of every scene are like just kind of fade to white everywhere Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. and there's very minimal color but like it's colorful like everyone's wearing like really beautiful colors in terms of like dresses and outfits and stuff but the world itself is just very like airy and thin in a way that's really interesting because the modern stuff is all just the dirt and the trees and the sun and the water like it's all there and like incredibly densely animated yeah, there's um a long sequence toward the middle of the film in the modern day where she's just like describing the process of um like picking the safflower, processing the safflower, what it's used for um and it's it doesn't serve the story. It is kind of just telling the audience about like this real thing that people do and just like intense detail but like it is one of the most gripping things that happens in the movie, um, despite it being, like, vestigial, maybe, is the word. Um, yeah. I mean, it's, it, it's like, a lot of the modern stuff in particular is, like, interested in dwelling on the quiet moments. And the process of mm-hmm. the thing that they devote their lives to is, like a major part of who they are as people, but also like an array of quiet moments, right? Like there's a bit where she explains the whole process and then it shows it raining and everyone rushing to drag the safflowers after they've been pounded and stuff while they're drying into the house. So they don't get wet and ruined. And it's very good. Right. Um, There's another scene later on. That's like, ends up being a big conversation about um, whether or not uh, she wants to move out to the country uh, with this family but it starts with her just um, whipping something up for a meringue and someone else is working on something else for dinner. And it is like like these qu- quiet moments getting interrupted by um, like larger conversations that like, um, yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, one of my favorite sequences of this is when she first gets into the country. Like, she takes the overnight train from Tokyo, and he picks her up, like, right before dawn. So it's gray, and it's rainy, and it's, like, really quiet as they're driving through the city. Like, it's just the car in, on rainy streets, and it's animated incredibly well, where, like, you see the headlights splashing over the streets, and everything's reflected, and it's beautiful. If you drive it when it's rainy and nice out, you just get this. It's good. It's my favorite mm. thing. And then they drive into the country, and then, like, the sun breaks, and you get, like... A beautiful like early morning where it's sunny and everything's lit up and it looks great and then by the time they get to the actual farm it's like cloudy again and it's gray and rainy still and the like transition of that space is so good uh because it'd be really mm -hmm. easy to just like lean into now it's all beautiful now that she's out here in the country but no the country is still a place where it's like either too hot or too wet or you know like all the other things that you would feel when you're out somewhere exist here right um and we've seen, like, Totoro very much draws, like, a very similar setting in the most, like, idyllic way. Um, and this is, like, more grounded. And, like, Totoro, when you're watching it, feels very grounded. But this is, like, I feel much closer to the reality of living in the country. Yeah. Um, um I, It's just thinking about the car. I just also love the detail that, like, this is never really brought up, but that car is a piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, he drives like a really old, like, is, is it a Beetle exactly? I don't I don't know cars that I don't, old, but it looks like a yeah. Beetle. But it's like clearly like 15 years older than every other car around. Uh-huh. <laughs> it can really only get up to 40. He has to use the parking brake every time he stops at a stop yes. sign. Uh, um. It's really endearing. And um, they and they are just like packed in there. Like they are right next to each other in this very <laughs> yeah. confined space whenever they're going somewhere. It's like it's honestly believable that like being so packed in is like a, one small factor that like leads to them having this relationship because like maybe if she had sat in the back seat like you know there would be this little distance that they never would have gotten so close. It's just like a yeah. Yeah. It's really good. Um, Trying to think of more just like scenes I want to shout out. I while watching um, the movie for a second time yesterday, I actually took a handful of bullet pointed notes of just like and nothing none of this I don't have any points in any of this. It's just like, oh yeah, they're playing baseball and this spaghetti western duel music starts playing, and I love that. And um I love this very protracted scene of the dad smoking and them eating pineapple um, that just goes on forever. Like it, it, it's, you know, the, the film is structured as just like a million tiny little moments that just add up to this greater whole. Um, and like, yeah, when I was, I wasn't even trying to take notes. I was just like, Oh, I hope I remember to mention this. Uh, I really like the pineapple scene because, like, they get a pineapple. It's the 60s. So, they like, pineapples are, one, imported and less really expensive. And, two, like, nobody's eaten a pineapple. So they don't know how to eat it. Uh, 
And so they just set it up as they try to figure it out. And one of the sisters comes home one day and is like, I figured out how to eat it. Someone told me how to cut it up. So they try to cut it up. But because they don't know, the pi- like the pineapple is clearly not ripe. It is a green yes. pineapple that they pull out. Um, all the spines are all closed up. Like, it's not ready. But they go and cut it up, and then they try to eat it, and it's all hard and gross because it's not ready yet. And uh, Taiko insists on eating it anyway, just, like, forcing herself to chew through gross, hard pineapple. Because to her, it's, like, a new thing, and the novelty is, like, really important. And the thing that's really funny here is not this scene in general, like, specific here, but they all complain about the pineapple pineapple being bad and weird and it's like this is what you get for eating foreign fruit but then the rest of them go and grab ba- bananas and talk about how good bananas are <laughs> which is such like a good like undercutting of the reality of the situation because bananas are also like i mean i don't maybe japan natively grows bananas but bananas are a symbol of like globalized food right mm-hmm. um yeah there's also um gosh the the pineapple scene is also just kind of this slow motion tragedy because I as the viewer can see like that pineapple is just not ready um and it is so tragic to watch them eat this it's also uh I wanted with the bananas it's funny to see like in the past in the memories like her older sister goes to the kitchen and gets a banana and it is just like it is just a perfect yellow banana is the like the most perfect banana that has ever been and then we hard cut into a banana stand um, and like all the bananas have like random brown spots and like a couple of them at the bottom are like a little more green than you would want to eat. Like, like it's a drawing of like a real ass banana and it's like, it's just a very nice moment of that highlights like how different and how beautiful both styles are. Yeah. Uh, The thing I like also is like Tycho's a picky eater, but sits and eats the pineapple, even though it's not ready, because it's like a new exotic thing to her. Like, she wants to go to the country because she's never been. She wants to be an actress because she's never been one before. Um, And so she has this, like, thrill of, like, the new as a child that's really interesting to me because... Like, clearly she's, like, settled into, like, letting that all go because that's part of her as, like, when I was a problem, when I was a kid, I was all these things that I want to let go of. Um, And so she only allows herself, like, going out for 10 days to the country and then she has to come back and do her stupid job she hates or whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, But she meets Toshio and the first thing he does is put on, like, Hungarian farming music. And his (laughs) reality, his, his, like... He, he lives a small life, right? He's a farmer in a very small village and he picks safflowers and that's all he's ever going to do. That's all he cares about. But his, his like experience set is also bigger because farming can be a global idea, right? Like he, he cares about this music because it's music that farmers do somewhere else and that he brings it and feels a relationship with it that he can connect to. And that's really important to him. And like Taiko growing up did not have any of that. She just had the things that she thought she wanted that she didn't have. And like the, like the seeds of why these two fit together so well is like really subtle and good. Yeah. And also um, a, a, a very small recurring thing throughout the movie is like shots of uh, farm workers, like, looking directly into the camera doing their doing their work um and like a just small thing um about this movie is that it is very invested in like the the dignity uh, of farm work and how like it is a thing that Taiko in Tokyo does not have to think about like she calls her sisters and her sisters like why would anyone ever be interested in this and like um 
the film is very interested in like showing farmers as people who have complex, interesting lives, um, who have complex and interesting work, uh, even if like, you know, Taiko's family like um, is not necessarily interested in those things. It does not care about those things. Yeah. The young girl uh, who's at the farm wants pumas. (laughs) Like, it's such a good (laughs) character bit. Like, she's like, my friends at school have pumas. I want pumas. And the mom's like, we can't afford pumas. You're not getting pumas. <laughs> they also flash the Puma logo on yes. the screen for like two seconds. <laughs> it's just like, what the? Okay, sure. <laughs> um. Uh, so you want to talk a bit about the ending, which is incredible? Yes. Yes. Okay. So she gets, she, she's, the grandmother's like, stay, marry Toshi, it'll be great. She decides not to. There's this long thing about a kid that she grew up with that she thought hated her, but actually it was more complicated than that. You know, I, if you, and if you want to cover it, we can, but I don't necessarily think we need to. Yeah, that, that was interesting, but it wasn't like the meat of this, yeah. I guess. I was like, yeah. So she decides she's going to go. She goes, she gets on the train. And then on the train, as she, like all of the kids from 10 year old, the 10 year old Taiko's life are on the train with her. Cause it's like an empty train. Cause it's in the middle of nowhere. Go to Tokyo. And as she like stands up and decides to leave and go back and stop, the, like get off at the next stop and go back. Uh, the song from the Rose place. <laughs> Uh, the Rose, uh, Japanese version, uh, Iwahana Kimua Sonatane, which is like the minute it starts, I'm like, this is The Rose, <laughs> which is a, a very famous uh, love ballad. Uh, mm-hmm. And it's so weird to be here as a thing um, because it feels so out of place. And I really love that about it because like this, this schmaltzy American 80s ballad is playing as she's making her way back uh literally to like get on a bus and but like pass toshio as he's like going about his business because he left her at the train station he has a day to go do and the dozens of like phantom children following her it's just (laughs) really incredible like it's like the magic of it is like so compounded by the weirdness of the music choice and like the pitched emotion of she's gonna go do this and all of like her younger self and all the memories of the people that she knew are just cheering her on and like tumbling over themselves trying to like push her towards that it's genuinely just like one of the most touching things i've seen in a movie i feel like i've maybe been hyperbolic about this movie but it is just striking in every moment and this is the culmination of like um her reconciling like um what she wants now with um who she was then Uh, reconciling is maybe even too too strong a word just like feeling the weight of her history push her into committing to this huge change like it's just beautiful Mm -hmm. (laughs) ah Um, and, and, and yeah, like the, I don't know. I don't even have more to say. I just think it is, it is very easy for me to be hyperbolic about this movie. It is just stunning. Like I also, you know, I think, um, there's an easy joke about like, this is a very Stardew Valley thing. Um, in these last scenes, she's wondering um, 
is this a thing I genuinely care about or um, am I just a tourist from Tokyo who is trying on this life um, and I'm going to go home at the end of the week and like go back to my Tokyo life and feel satisfied and just like um, it's just genuinely touching to see someone like take a risk like it's not like she walks away from that being like oh yeah I definitely know that I'm not a tourist like I definitely know for sure that um, I have everything figured out, but it is just really moving to see someone like take this enormous risk um, that they're not ready for, but they're going to do it anyway, um, and to be cheered on by these adorable 10-year-olds. <laughs> yeah. I don't think I have that much more to say. Uh, I thought this movie was incredible. It's well worth watching. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, unless you have final thoughts, we should probably let this segue to our question. I think so, too. Yeah. We have emails. If you would like to send us questions or comments about any of the movies we've covered before or the one we're doing any given week, uh, you can send the podcast at abnormalmapping.com. We have four emails today. The first one's from Adam, uh, which uh, says, Slice of life stories like only yesterday aren't the type of uh, thing people tend to associate with Studio Ghibli. What other genres would you all like to see from Ghibli? Alternatively, are there any other genres you would not want to see from them? Um... I touched on this very briefly. The opening scene of this movie is like uh, Teiko in um, an office building um, in Tokyo. And I was, I thought for a moment because I didn't really know anything about this movie that like this entire movie was going to be set in modern Tokyo. And I was like extremely hyped for that. Um, I just think all this stuff is gorgeous and like, I'm glad for the movie I got, but I am very curious about like how Ghibli would portray like um, modernity, modernity and yeah. like Tokyo specifically. Yeah. Yeah. Cause uh, it's, I mean, I haven't seen every movie that Ghibli's done, uh, but yet anyway, but uh, I don't think there is one of those. Not as far as I know. Um, like I say, I hadn't heard of this movie before this podcast and I didn't know a damn thing about it before watching it on Monday. So Maybe something will take me by surprise and be that, but yeah, um, I would obvious for me. Given everything, I would like to see a Ghibli mech show. God, it would be real cool. Uh, Tomino made a very Ghibli-inspired Gundam series called Victory Gundam, which we just finished watching on Great Gundam Project. Um, that has sequences, especially early on, that are lifted straight out of Ghibli movies that are really interesting. Um, and I think it 
does really well. I would like to see the inverse of that. Um, I, I don't think that they would do a good job, but I would want to see it anyway. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's hard to think about what I, w- what I wouldn't want to see from them. They do so much fantasy. And so like the impulses say, I don't really want to see a sci-fi from them thing from them. I really want to see them do sci-fi. I just don't know that it would be as interesting as their, like, fantasy with, like, magical technology that they do more often. Yep. Um, I can't think of anything I would want them to steer away from, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want me to read our second email? Yeah, sure. This is from uh, Nora Blake. Um I'm going to skim this real quick because she has written us a very long email, as she has wanted to do. Um, She loved the pineapple scene. Um, I was surprised to find myself reminiscing along with the main character. I don't have a lot of childhood memories. I don't know why, but anything before 16 is kind of a blur. I wish I had this kind of personal mythology. It's comforting to think of our past as toolboxes that we can reach into and find an experience of two to help us as adults. Questions. Is there an element of your childhood or your past that you wish you could still feel the influence of? I am currently in therapy to not be so influenced by the elements of my childhood and past. <laughs> so uh, I, the, my, my reading of a lot of that stuff is that it is a burden that she carries as much as like a guidance for who she is. And a lot of the movie is about her learning to like start to feel the difference. Um, so I, I don't know. I just I don't trust anyone who says they remember accurately what it is like to be 10 and things that happen to you when you're 10, because even a 10 year old cannot accurately describe what is happening to them in the world. Like, that's just not within their conceptual set. Right. Yeah. Um, I'm in a really position, similar position to Nora of not having a lot of memories before I was a teen um, and like. I'm also thinking about how I should probably go to therapy so that one, I can remember those things and two, confront them because I'm clearly like pushing them down anyway. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, I feel like I sometimes do have this sort of personal mythology though. It's just like much more recent. I remember when I first started to transition of like remembering like, Oh yes, I went to Goodwill this one time and found myself looking at all the girls' clothes way more than the, um, you know, men's clothes and blah, blah, blah. Like, when I first started to transition, I remember really going through this of, like, picking out all these moments where I can't believe I didn't realize it when I was 12. I can't believe I didn't realize it when I was uh, 16. Um, And, like, that is just, to some extent, that is, like, a thing I've just made my peace with and I don't have to have this, like, mythology where i've tried to create a narrative of like my transness through my childhood and um how i didn't see it sooner you know like i it's just the thing i am more or less at peace with these days yeah uh nora has Uh, a second part of the question a lot of space is given to the main character not liking certain foods i've always had a strange and sometimes fraught relationship with food and i really felt for her when she just constantly got sniped at for not liking onions. Are there any habits you formed in childhood that you were discouraged from keeping, but that you continue to this day anyway? Uh, I've stopped recently, but I was always a lifelong nail biter. 
I was not really discouraged from doing it other than, mm-hmm. you know, don't do that. But taking up I... vaping instead. It, it's actually worked wonders. <laughs> <laughs> I just like, I need something to do with my hands. I um was a lifelong nail biter. And then what I started to transition for like almost two years, I always had my nails painted, which broke the habit. Uh, and then I started working food service, and I've started biting my nails again because I can't put polish on them anymore. Yeah. Um, I, you know, to talk about a memory that I have from when I was 12 that is almost certainly fake, um, I remember getting into an argument when I was 11 with my dad about, like, him complaining that I was a picky eater. And so, like, I was like, well, screw you. I'm going to try one new food every day for a month, and... In my head, ever since then, I've been a much less picky eater. I am sure that is not how that went down. <laughs> um, I wasn't really a picky eater. I was raised with uh, parents who were... Well, my mother in particular was very, like, not into new or strange foods. And by Midwestern conception, that means black pepper is, like, an exotic spice you add to things. <laughs> um, and once I was able to, like, start going out and getting my own food, I resolved to never be this person. So I'll, I'll try everything, like, twice. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and uh, I like, which is almost in the same way, like, uh, the way you were raised and you were trying to break out of, right? Right. Um, I had a weird thing where my dad was, is always constantly trying to try new foods and, like, do all these weird things. And my mom is very much like, black pepper, I don't know, that's a little too spicy for me. So I, like, had a weird balance to where I think I've come out, like, I will try everything once or twice, um, but I don't feel my dad's weird compulsion to, like, never eat the same thing twice. <laughs> yeah, no, that's that's too far. Yeah. Um, we have questions from Tron. Thank you, Tron, as always. Um, what do you think about the soundtrack for the movie? Uh, the soundtrack's great. It's interesting because, like, we're, I did music pulls earlier than usual for this one because I knew exactly what I wanted, and I grabbed the three songs that you'll hear in this episode. Mm-hmm. And I listened to some of the score, and the score is nice and all. But the like the song polls, like the actual music that they got for this movie, is so fantastic that I yes. I just couldn't I couldn't spare a slot for the score. I really like the mm-hmm. songs. Yes, um, the it's first of all I don't I think this is the first time since uh, Cagliostro that we have a non Joe Hisaishi score. I don't know that for sure. Grave of the Fireflies might have might also have. Not had Joe Hisaishi. I don't but, remember. Uh, I don't. Fa- I don't pay attention that closely outside of doing this show. So <laughs> they tumble out of my brain immediately. Um, but um, the score, I did. I am not often a person who notices the score. Um, in a film, at least the first time I watch it, uh, there were moments where I was really struck by the score, particularly the scene, uh, one of the first scenes of her picking safflower. And the um, there's a crescendo, and then the, oh, the sun, sun breaks, breaks yes. over the mountains. Yeah, and it, they all take a pause, and then the music dies down, and then you just hear like bird song as they continue their work. Uh, it's amazing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, have you ever wanted to try and be a farmer or live in the country? No. no, 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 I don't think so either. Uh, country, maybe yes. Farming, no. Though, like, we talked about this in the Kiki episode. I think both of us have a vision of, like, 
I'd much rather not sit at a computer all day. I'd much rather do something with my hands that was fairly compensated, that I had control yes. over, that was not like exploited labor, that I could just make things. Like there's a real yes. desire to that that can be farming. For me, it probably isn't. Um, country, don't necessarily care. Uh, I can get things shipped to me as long as it has internet at this point. <laughs> <laughs> don't really mind. Um, um, right now I'm living in St. Louis and St. Louis is definitely too big for me i grew up in a town of about 60,000 people and i would very much like to be back in a smaller place like that but i don't uh having had family that i spent time with who lived in like the country like my family like farms like that is not a lifestyle i think i would adjust too well mm-hmm. but um yeah i definitely like I wish I could have a job not being at a computer all day, but uh, having worked a job for about a year now where I'm, like, doing, like, doing the sorts of things I wish I could be doing, you just don't get paid very well for that, so now I'm trying to find a job where I sit at a computer all day. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, Do any of you have family you visited that live in a more rural area? Uh, Trons has family that live in the mountainsides of Acaguas, Puerto Rico, which sounds interesting. I have family that lived, I don't know if they do anymore, but they had like a, like an RV campground and like a bunch of land in like the hill, like the mountains of rural Pennsylvania, which, uh, I went to once, which was incredible because it was just like, very similar to this, just like heavily wooded mountain areas, just green forever and always like often damp and uh, misty uh, mm-hmm. and good. Um, but I wouldn't want to live there. <laughs> <laughs> um, my family, like my my mom and dad, like moved away from the town that they grew up in. Everyone else in the family, like stayed there. Um, it is in like northeastern Missouri and um, not even that north because it's close to the river. Um, The town has just been flooded like dozens of times by the river. And so like um, that part of Missouri is like very, like very poor, very like been torn up by meth um, in the past few decades. Um, Like it's a very different picture of like, farm life than you get in this movie that is um like like what happens to um people who worked the land when like the land is just not workable anymore yeah um yeah uh did any of you have trouble learning certain subjects in school um no i was too good at school and it ruined my life (laughs) uh the interesting to me is I was also too good at school in a way that I think was detrimental to my ability to function as an adult for a long time. But um, the thing that was interesting, like watching this, because I was talking to Destiny while I was watching it, is I was always really good at math when I was a child. Uh, but then I got really bored of it and I got really into like literature in part because I wasn't ne- like the one subject I was really bad at in like elementary and junior high was English. Um, and I got into it because I liked it because it wasn't as like automatic, um, Mm -hmm. which I think is just true of the things I'm into now. Most of the things I'm into, I'm like, okay, but not great at, um, I, I'd much rather not be bored doing stuff. (laughs) I had, I had a similar thing where I've always been like 
pretty natural with like math in school. Um, and so I took a lot of English classes because I wanted to like do something that was tougher for me, but, um, ended up going to college because like, I felt like I had to, and just like got a degree in math because like, it was just the easiest thing for me. And then when I finished college, almost went into a PhD program before I realized like, oh no, I would be miserable. <laughs> but yeah, I was, I was always very good at school. And so just wanted to keep doing school forever until I realized it was going to destroy me. Um, yeah, that's maybe too real, but yeah. <laughs> would you like to read our last email from Cassie? Um, yes. Um, this is probably my favorite Ghibli film. I cried rewatching it. I definitely didn't catch the sister crushing on an actress the first time. Uh, parentheses gay v relatable in some parts what would you grow in your personal dream garden uh what do you think makes uh Teiko different from the normal girls as her mom says i believe um what would i grow in my personal dream garden um probably like the vegetables that i need to just like make things that i use like every day like i use like onions and garlic and bell peppers in just about everything I make. So like if I could just grow the things that I need in like most meals, maybe like some basil, probably not mint because mint will like uh, ruin the rest of your garden. Um, but uh, yeah, probably like stuff I know I'm going to use to cook. Uh, for a more fanciful answer, I will say either watermelon or rhubarb which are two things i like a lot of um but it's hard slash expensive to get really good watermelon and uh i haven't had like fresh rhubarb since i was a teenager basically because nobody like my dad grew it when i was growing up oh well i don't know that i've ever had fresh rhubarb now that you're may because my dad has made rhubarb pies before so maybe he used fresh rhubarb but i genuinely don't know mm -hmm. um, you have to mix with a lot of sugar because it's very bitter on its own hmm. it's just hell celery basically <laughs> um what do you also think also the leaves are poisonous so you can't have it if you have pets or whatever because if they eat it they will get oh sick. wow it makes Taco different from the normal girls I don't necessarily think that she is that different. I think that she yeah. projects a lot onto the experiences of her childhood, but I think those experiences wouldn't be that different. Like her older sister, right? Like she thinks of her as the normal one, but like, like it is in this email, like she spends a lot of her teen years, like crushing on some actress. I don't think it means much like that happens, whatever the movie doesn't touch mm -hmm. on it. So I don't feel the need to dwell on it that much, but she's also like, she gets in a fight with a 10 year old because over a purse that she doesn't even want anymore. Like she's also going through it because everyone goes through it and everyone has their own narrative of how their childhood was bad. And it was, it was all bad, but it all was like not bad in the exact way you're going to remember because reality is not memory. Right. Um, yeah. Like we don't get the interiority of every other girl. Probably if we focused on, any other girl uh, at 27 from her class, they would be like, oh, no, no, I remember this thing, uh, and I felt so foolish. Like, you know, uh, we see a little bit of one girl who is the first one to tell the, tell the boys about, like, periods and puberty, and, like, 
she probably feels very foolish about that situation for totally different reasons, and she probably remembers a totally different incident where that blew up in her face, you yeah. know? Um, like, the things that hurt you are, us- are in this movie, presented as very normal. Like, everybody has things that hurt them. <laughs> yeah. Um, is that every email? I That's think so. everything. So we're going to take three weeks again. Finally, hooray! Because these this Normal two week schedule. felt like we just ran right into the last one. <laughs> yeah. Um. So, uh, next time we'll be back to talk about Porco Rosso, which is a movie I adore. It. I. It's one of my favorite movies. I know I was really hyperbolic on this episode. Um. Hopefully, I will come back and be hyperbolic next week. I'm like, because yeah. like, weeks from I now. also have like, what if I haven't seen it in many years at this point? What if I don't like it? And that would be miserable. Yes. <laughs> See, I probably haven't seen it in. Mm, I saw it right after I started to transition, so I guess it's been two years. Mine's been about and five. So I'm very aware that I watched that movie, uh, like a month and a half into like my transition and built a lot of mythology around it and. I know I'm still going. I know I'm still going to like it. I just hope that it holds up in my memory. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so that'll be good. Um, until then, I guess we can do some plugs. You can find me on Twitter at em underscore being. You can find this podcast and a bunch of podcasts on Abnormal Mapping. Go to abnormalmapping.com. The thing I would love for people to check out is uh, your uncle's beach house. Um, which is an anime podcast directed by the patrons who pledged to Abnormal Mapping. Uh, we have an episode about the eccentric family that just went up relatively recently. We have one coming up on a mech anime called Flag from 2006, I think, that's incredibly good. Um, it's good. It's it's a nice, like, casual discussion of anime, like a whole season at a time. It's not like Gundam, where it's a, a hell march for two episodes a week forever. So, it's nice. I just started watching Joe in part because I really wanted to just, like, start catching up on Beach House. I have, like, ten episodes of Beach House that I haven't listened Nichijou to. Joe might ca- be the second best anime we've covered for Beach House. I'm guessing Dirty Pear is the best one? Oh, Dirty Pear is definitely the best one. <laughs> okay, okay. I was like, I'm pretty sure I was thinking that you would have Joe at number one and Dirty Pear at number two. <laughs> no, no, I think I think I like Dirty Pear more than Nichijou. It, it's a it's a tough contest. We watch a lot of very good anime. People suggest great stuff for us to watch. So, I'm very glad that uh, y'all have stumbled onto Dirty Pear because I've been telling myself for five years now I will watch Cowboy Bebop soon. I'll cross it off my list soon, and now I have another reason to just put it off a little while longer. <laughs> you should watch Cowboy Bebop before you watch Dirty Pear. Otherwise, you're not going to like Cowboy Bebop nearly as much as I think someone should. <laughs> Um, anyway, you can find me on Twitter. I just changed my at today because I wanted something with autumn in it. So it is now at autumnal coffee. Um, is that underscore at autumnal underscore coffee? Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> um, there you'll find, I also redid my pinned tweet. So it's more up to date. Uh, you can find export audio, a podcast I do with Nora Blake, who, frequent emailer to this podcast um, yeah you can also hear me on the most recent episode of great gundam project yeah you also do a podcast about an a kind of an, an anime we're gonna call it an anime uh yeah. which is uh newbie a podcast about ruby i'm gonna be on the episode that will probably be out around the time this episode goes live i assume we record it on friday which means 
it will probably be up Saturday because okay. if I don't edit it within 24 hours, I start getting anxious. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. So I was about to do the sign off and then realized we've still never come up with one. We had one last time that was something about capitalism sucks, but I don't necessarily think it's appropriate for this movie. Like, capitalism still yeah. sucks, but I don't know. It's not really center in this movie. Yeah. Also, I don't want to bite Waypoint Radio's, uh, you know, fuck capitalism, go home too hard. <laughs> so I guess I guess we should just embrace the reality of it and, uh, as always, say, uh, outros are hard. Thank you.